Download the app, Bet Big, Win Bigger. And I got to tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. WinBet has what you need to win. So if you're from Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, sign up today to receive this special offer. New users can take advantage of WinBet's bet $50 to win $200. Just bet $50 and win $200 in free bets. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download the app, bet big, and win bigger. Let's get after it. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where win bet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. Welcome to the Greenlight Podcast. RG3 joins us today. Chris and RG3 run through the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson mess, talk Lamar's development throughout his career, and talk some track and field. Robert also goes in depth on his career, his time in Washington, where he might have wanted to have been drafted, gives a little insight into his time in the NFL. To start the show before Robert, Kyle is going to recap his trip up to Boston for the U.S. Open, talk a little Father's Day. Chris's white guy bingo gift. Also run through a couple NFL stories and talk rookie dinners after Garrett Wilson made news. Y'all enjoy today. Have we figured this out yet? So we stayed in a place, uh, a little settlement called Hopedale, which was beautiful. Mm. It reminded me of Lake Forest, Illinois. You know, uh, nice little one, two-acre lots, beautiful homes, uh, great deli. Shout out to Jeans Variety in Milford, Massachusetts. Mm. Phenomenal sandwiches. Go in there and get the porchetta. Oh. And por- porchetta or porchetta? Porchetta. Porchetta? Well, probably you know, figure that out before the next U.S. Open. Well, the guy in front of me ordered it for me because he was such a fucking great guy. I said, you know what? I you're know a, coming you're a big dude. What do you get here? And he said, you got to get the fucking porchetta. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to get the porchetta. Get the and I'll do the Italian. And then the guy behind goes, you want hots? And I said, what? And he said, do you want hots? Like when he said it slower, like yeah. hot peppers. Yeah. I was like, whatever you think is good, I'm going to enjoy it. I never feel more like I'm in another country than when I'm like, uh, like that far north of the Mason-Dixon in line with some of the the jargon and the communication the speed with which people get things done up there well i i dropped my my wife off and my daughter shout out to kate and frankie at my in-laws place uh at the at the jersey shore beautiful spot down there uh at the boardwalk and then i said all right you guys i'm gonna meet my friend at the u.s open i kept driving six more hours north to boston yeah stayed in hopedale 
Uh, obviously, the tournament, the U.S. Open, was at Brookline at mm. the Country Club, yeah. uh, made famous by Francis. We met, and I, I believe, 1913. You might have to fact check me on that. Who famously won the U.S. <laughs> Open? Who famously won? Like the, a fucking Booker. This is good. Who famously won the U.S. Open yes. with a ten-year-old caddy? Famously. And Reed, you might want to help me with the name of the movie that there is. The greatest game ever played. Okay, I haven't Legend seen it, but Reed Bagger said Bags. it was kind of a che- cheesy movie, but it was great. Yeah. Um, so that was where Brookline, Massachusetts was. I had no idea how close it was to the city. I mean, you're in a beautiful suburb, and then it's like the skyline right there. And if you've ever been to Boston on a nice day, which is a rare I occurrence, haven't. I've played in Boston, I've practiced in Boston, and I've never seen it so pretty yeah. as when I was hanging out, drinking beer, watching golf. The only nice days, we were in training camp. Yeah, 81 degrees in in August. And you can only fake an injury so many days in a row, right? Exactly. They're going to make you practice eventually. Unfortunately, I wasn't faking an injury when you came up to practice with us and hit me in the ribs. Kyle went up to the U.S. Open. uh, Really good, really good reviews we've been hearing. Rave reviews about Boston. One of your top five most biggest city surprises you've ever yeah, I mean, playing in Chicago for so long. Uh, yeah, you were just one could argue. One could argue that it is the Kidding. it is Kidding. the best big city. I'm not a New York guy. I'm just yeah. gonna get that out from Jump Street. A bit dirty for me. A bit too big. Like minimize your boroughs. Maybe get three sections. Right? You know, less boroughs. Okay, so on to Chicago. Flat. It's Daniel Day Lewis's fault. Yeah, and and Leo. Daniel Day Lewis. They didn't get so complicated with that whole thing. Five points should have been three points. Yep. Like a three-pointer. Steph Curry would have run New York City back mm-hmm, in the day. Mm-hmm. Chicago, flat, beautiful. The lake looks like the Caribbean ocean in, in the right time of the year, I got to say. But uh, when I went to Boston, I was amazed at the geographic characteristics of that town. The ups, the downs, the beautiful trees. There's lakes everywhere. They have hills. And also, every town name is fun to say in, in, Hank, in New like England. Ham. Hingham. You're going to Worcester. Peabody, Peabody. Yeah, you you were there a weekend and you nailed the the accent more than I did. I well, yeah, I I don't even, I can't even do it. Happy Um, Father's Day. Thank you, Father's Day. Yeah, Uh, Charleston's really nice too. Dad used to talk about how tough and rough it was growing up, but one of those uh, off days I had, there were like four when I was in New England. I went up to uh, Charlestown, and I was like, if this isn't just yuppie heaven now, Dad talked all that game about charlestown it's pretty nice pretty nice place it's a town with like an old school trolley and like lanterns yeah and dude like, i was like dad yeah, dad you're not that tough. getting beat up here and beating people up here so the way boston is it's like boston if you're looking at a map and then you go down the coast towards cape cod on your way to cape cod there's some awesome towns that are near the water kind of protected i guess by peninsulas or whatever yeah Correct me if I'm wrong, podcast. Well, listeners. so Hingham's one of those. Hingham is the town where we, I picked up my yeah. tickets, and I was like, I can move here tomorrow. There's a Whole Foods, there's a Lululemon, there's beautiful trees, mature trees everywhere. Looks like some some maybe equestrian properties there. How did Boston roofie you? I was I was yeah date sexed by Boston. A lot of people love Boston. Julian Edelman loves Boston. I well, can imagine he does. It, you know, it's a little cold for me. Go back in the winter, okay. Go back in the winter. It's not really about the cold. It's about the sun going down at 4 p.m. All right. Well, they say the closer you are to the ocean, yeah. uh, the less snow you get. And yeah. I was like, but what about the gray? You get a lot of gray. So Hingham is where Al Groh lived, my college coach for oh. a lot of people. You know, he, he's the Bill Belichick tree. So when I went up to New England, 
Al was like, let's get dinner, you, me, and Bill. And I was like, man, I don't know, man. Like, go out to dinner with my new coach? Like, this sounds nerve-wracking. Uh, we went out to dinner and hang them at some lovely place by a marina. It was gorgeous, Kyle. Oh. Like, I kind of see where you're saying this. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I remember football season, and it was hella dark. See, all I thought about was the Red Sox. Because yeah, when I was yeah. up there in high school is when I visited Fenway to go try out with the Sox. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do well enough to play for the Sox. But I'm better than the Yankees. You go up out. there and you say, you know what? Let's do a summer catch. Let's go watch a game. Yeah. You know, you wear a jersey. I'll wear a backwards cap. And we just drink some beers. Does that sound good, man? By the way, we have Robert Griffin the <laughs> third coming on in a few. RG3. Obviously, a great football player, but he's he seems like a better guy. Honestly, I've he's been, really I'm really good in the booth. Yeah, he's good in the booth, man. So we're gonna have RG three on a few. Um, we're talking about the U.S. Open right now. How are people about the uh, the Celtics up there? That's an interesting question because we got into town obviously with one thing on our mind: the U.S. Open. I haven't been keeping up with the finals, but I realized that. Who do you think's gonna win the finals? So I thought I know who wins now, okay. but the, I knew I knew it was playoffs. I didn't realize it was the finals. Oh yeah, the finals. So like we were in town and full blown Celtics, dude. and there's people screaming every time that people are like, you know, the tee shot happens. People say, "No!" There was people screaming. Oh, I thought we're Tatum so is not elite, and I was like, "Why do they keep screaming? Yeah. Tatum is not elite." Uh -huh. And well, he didn't have an elite. And Mickey White said. It's because Jason Tatum is on the Celtics, and they just lost to Steph Curry. He, he got out elated by well, Steph Curry. He didn't. He he did not play very well. In well, the finals. I didn't watch, um, but people were people were excited about golf. Yeah, I will yeah. say. So, talk about Father's Day real quick, and then we'll get into the U.S. Open. Okay. Listen, dude. Uh, happy Father's Day, belated to all the dads out there. I had a great Father's Day. I got a special gift on Father's Day. My wife Meg gives me the gift of autonomy on Father's Day. It's awesome. I, I'm starting to think she and my family not so crazy about me. So what they do is, when they have an excuse, they say, go do something you like to do for the entire day. Uh, and for me, obviously, that's hitting the river. So me, my buddy Tom went, you know Tom, uh, shout out Tom, we went down uh, and we, we hit the river uh, down here in, in yeah, outside Charlottesville and James River. Uh, a week ago, we had had hit the river. Uh, Tom, myself, Doctor Fax, and others. Doctor Fax, um, yeah. Doctor Fax was sitting on the rock before we jump off this like 10, 15 foot rock, ten foot rock. So uh, Fax is a little bit nervous, you know, moving water, effectively a high dive, uh, and he's sitting there and he's making excuses why he's not going to jump. And he's like, "I got my Apple Watch on. If I jump, I'm I can't wear this Apple Watch because this is going to go." down the river like there's no way that this watch makes it through the jump uh five minutes later he decides that he's gonna jump him and tom jump in the water and the watch they both lose their watches so they both lose apple watches which probably happens a lot on the river there's probably a whole fucking graveyard of apple watches down there um nate's gone tom's is gone uh nate's gotten a new one already tom i don't know if he's gotten around to it Sunday morning, Father's Day morning, Tom gets a text message from somebody that found his Apple Watch in eight feet of moving muddy water. It was red. I guess that's the only the only way you would have been able to see that oh. watch because Nate's was nowhere to be found. We gave it the old college try when we hit the rock yesterday. Uh, but a guy powered up his Apple Watch and found it and actually had the wherewithal not to sell it on eBay, not to flip the thing, not to program that's to be his amazing own, 
but he found Tom and gave him his Apple Watch. So shout out to that guy. I don't know who he is. Kudos to you. Yeah, who, if you found a, an Apple Watch in the James River. Superheroes are real. That was a great Father's Day present for my friend Tom. Um, and I got a great Father's Day present that I used yesterday. My wife got me Hoka's, dude. Hoka's, yeah, dude. That's we two points in white guy bingo. Yeah, it should have been like five because the, the shoes that I got weren't the standard white guy Hoka's. They were the Hoka River shoes, dude. You know water shoes? Aqua socks. I don't think there's a non-white person on the planet that owns You're talking to a guy socks. in river shoes right now. Okay, bro. and we'll get to those in a moment. <laughs> um, but I got me a pair of Hoka's. This is not an ad. I'm ready to receive the Hoka cash infusion if you're listening, but this is not an ad for now. Hoka's make great river shoes. I, I broke them in yesterday. Meg got me a Hoka shoes, a Yeti backpack. I took it all right on the river. It was like, she was like, get the fuck out of here, please. Yeah. And we had a great day. So happy Father's Day to any any dads out there. Happy Father's Day to you, of course. Thanks, Chris. Happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, thanks, man. I also like Hoka's. You like hokas. So, well, that makes sense. Quick anecdote about yeah. hokas. Uh, first off, I've never been on a river or in a river shoe, but I have worn hokas. Uh, the video that I posted on Instagram with me lifting weights and running and stuff last year that got me signed by the Chiefs. That video got you signed by the Chiefs? I was in hokas. And that video got you signed by well, the Chiefs? Well, I would say that it played a, a large large role in that. Yeah. They were like, God damn, it look peaked, at this video. It piqued the curiosity of some of the, you know, it made me a suitor. You think if I come out with me a video, suitors. I might get a job? You know, wear some hokas. Yeah. Those things that make you faster, you know, jump higher, yeah. all that stuff. But I was running on the treadmill. I needed a shoe that was comfortable, and the Hoka makes a great shoe for big guys. They really do. They really do. Yeah. I count myself as a large individual, and this thing was, it, it was, it, this and shoe I purchased was them. I wore the, I wore those things unnecessarily. I had them on at 10 p.m. I was off the river by seven, dude. Mm. I was just walking around in my Hoka. So shout out to Hoka, uh, and shout out to all the dads out there. White guy bingo. And my, my wife doesn't even listen to the pod, bro. And she was surprised when she learned that there was there was actually a white guy bingo. So, um, Kyle, your shoes, as we talk about the U.S. Open here, you walked in the building and apologized. When um, Kyle walked in, he said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I haven't showered. I haven't showered, which... Uh, so I'll give you the Father's Day rundown okay. of why this is all... Well, I'm more concerned with the mud on your feet right now. That's all part your, of that. What are these Crocs? These are canes, and they're also another We're shoe. We're doing a that are right amazing. Now. But they're, they're shoes with ventilation. The white guy's shoes. So shoes with ventilation. Kyle's naturally like it's fucking an airplane right now. Takes his shoes off. Your big shoes off guy. Love that. I am too, but you I got, like to ground. You can't have mud on your feet from yesterday. I'm a Kyle. liberal. I take my shoes off. Okay, Kyle. Shoes off was on White Guy Bingo as well. Comfortable taking your shoes off around <laughs> others. Yeah, dude, Kyle, congratulations. You're racking up the points here, but you have mud that you have proudly <sighs> okay. kept on your feet from yesterday. U.S. Open ended on Sunday, yeah? So I knew, yes. And yesterday was Sunday. Show the people your mud. Okay. These are my shoes. Disgusting. These are my shoes. And hold uh, them away from me. <laughs> Look at that foot. Look at that foot. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh my god, there's moisture in there, dude. <laughs> it's the summer, motherfuckers. That's some that's Brookline mud. Okay, dude. so you, you I walked, you know, you know I walked eighteen thousand plus steps three days in a row. Oh, congratulations. How Which is a you. new milestone for me. Good I've for never you. climbed the tallest mountain in Africa like you, Chris. I'm sorry. Walkable though. Also climbable. Deal. Yeah. 
depends on how you do it. Yeah. But yeah, I walked with these because I knew they were comfortable shoes, and I didn't want to. I didn't know what the uh, the rule was on shoe wear to a golf tournament. I'd never been to a to like a real golf tournament, and this is the U.S. Smell Open. Just hit me, Chris. This is the national championship, right? Yeah. So I knew wear a golf shirt. Yeah. Wear some golf shorts that you're comfortable walking in. And wear some shoes that you're comfortable wearing. Right. And I don't have a pair of tennis shoes other than my Hoka's that I feel comfortable wearing. Like, And I didn't know that Hoka would have been acceptable. There were a million Hoka's there. There were also people wearing golf shoes, like cleats. And I asked one guy. I That's said, like wearing cleats to a game. I asked one guy, I said, why are you wearing cleats? And he said, have you not seen the hills here? I don't want to be the guy that busts my ass. And I was like, while I'm still roasting you, that's a tremendous yeah, point. That's kind of a good point. It's like managers that wear their yes, outfits. Yes, like Lou Pinella. Like they're out there. Playing. I just think of Lou Pinella. Lou Pinella. I think of the guy that Pedro Martinez. Oh, uh, Don Zimmer. Zimmer. <sighs> Poor guy. He got the. If he wasn't wearing it, Pedro, he was. Just, he saw red, and it was just anybody in uniform. If he was dressed like a fucking coach, he wouldn't have got decked. He was blinded by that bald dome. Yeah, it caught the light of the Yankee Stadium. That's one of those sports things I remember where I was when it happened. But yeah, Kyle, people are in golf shoes. They're so in people are in golf shoes. People are in golf outfits. And I tweeted out, you know, I'm at the golf tournament for my first time, and I'm I'm amazed that people dress like they're playing in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a lot of replies like, you know, baseball, blah, 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 blah. They do the same thing. And I said, some people are even wearing cleats. And folks responded, the hills. You the know, hills, so, yeah. so I got that on site. But the great thing about golf is, I mean, you're right there. Like courtside seats in the NBA. You're, you know, your feet are on the wood. You're talking shit to LeBron when he's running by. You can do the same thing to the golfers. So I, I was trying to feel out what the decorum was like in terms of. You have to pay less for this action. Shit talking. Like the seats. It's not like you have one We seat. snuck in the first day. So you just walk, you follow golfers, yeah? You follow golfers and they have it's roped off, you know, yeah. and, and when the golfers come through, they unrope. There's a, there's an old volunteer who's there, he's probably lived in Brookline forever. Right. And it's a it's a it's a tremendous honor to do this job, right? They have three thousand volunteers or something. They named they said it after the tournament. They open the thing. A flood of people crosses the fairway, they close it, the next people tee off. Right. And so you have to keep in mind, like, well, 13's over there, we're on five, we have to go here and hit the porta potty. There's beers there, we can get three transfusions on our way to, you know. Yeah. That's the day. At least you day. have a phone. That's the day. At least you have a phone, yeah? You have a phone. Which, uh, down in Augusta, I mean, you just gotta fucking, you gotta navigate via the sun to get yeah. to the next hole. You like, have to listen dude. to the preachers. Yeah, dude, like, that, yeah. Up in up in up in Boston, down at Amen Corner. Yeah, <laughs> you know that that place is a, is on my bucket list, and I know nothing about. Let's golf. go next year. You know why? Because I would love to be unreachable. Let's go next year. I, I'd love to go. Like seriously. All right, all right. Let's uh, go. I Why'd know, you look at them? I, like, I, I'm going to put Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to put Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey on uh, on notice. Me and Chris will be doing the tugging of the coattails, trying to get to the Masters yeah, next but year. But don't look at Reed if you're not going to bring Reed. Reed loves golf. Hey, he Reed, we're like already going to the Greenbrier. Okay, I'm getting cut right. by the Saints okay. next summer. So we've already uh, said yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Greenbrier, uh, that's where the Saints do their training camp for people at home, and supposedly it is a brutal one. Um, so, yeah, who won this fucking tournament, Kyle? So, Fitzpatrick won, mm -hmm. and Fitzpatrick has braces. He chips with I his hands. That. So, like, if I'm a lefty, I hold a baseball bat like this, right? So, Fitzpatrick is one of the few guys in the world that chips with his hands like this and hits it opposite, right? I don't know 
a ton about golf, but I do know the preparation of an athlete mentally and physically and to watch these guys, their pre-shot routine. If me and Reed go play, we take the tee box, I put the tee in the ground, I get up, I talk shit to Reed, I may take a, a rip of my joint, put it down, and I fucking hit the ball. Yeah. These guys line up, they talk to their caddy, they look at it, they take a walk around the ball, they look at it, they get a feel, they take a couple mock swings, not full speed, they take a look at it. Three minutes later, they line up on the ball, they stand over it for 20 seconds, and then they fucking put a perfect swing on it. And all that time is spent doing you know, geometric calculations, figuring out what kind of rough they're in, what yeah. kind of club they're using. Is, is, is the landing area flat? Is it going to accelerate on landing? Is it going to stop? Do I want to put spin on it? And all that stuff drives you and me, the normal golfers, crazy. Yeah, yeah. But these guys walk up and they don't have to think about it. They're just picturing the shot that they want to take and in their head. And you get to watch this in person. And you watch it time. in person. But it was very, very fun to watch the the top guys in their game, with the exception of Tiger Woods, who opted out because obviously he's beat up pretty good. Well, that's fun. I mean, the guy winning, uh, wearing braces is pretty awesome. And evidently his caddy had waited a long time. Uh, where were you on 18? Did you watch the the leaders? Did you watch Fitzpatrick and so Zalatoris play 18? We watched Fitzpatrick, Zalatoris, all those guys come in um, on Saturday. And to get to the Father's Day conversation, my father-in-law was at the Jersey Shore. I was sans my baby on Saturday, and I was really missing my wife and my kid. So on Sunday, my buddy Mickey and I woke up, and we hightailed it out of Hopedale, and we said, we're going to make it to the shore in time for the leaders tee off time oh, so you watch at home so we made it to the shore yeah. surprised kate surprised the baby got to hang out with my father-in-law what the baby say when you surprised the baby them? said dad you are a fucking amazing dad that's what they all said the baby like. said there's shit in my pants yeah dude it's like come get it home but yeah it was a great day we went i went to the boardwalk last night with my father-in-law yeah. we played pool he beat me in pool shuffleboard darts drinking shit talking like it was a good day he showed up for father's day. it was a great day well good man and happy father's day to you i'm glad you got to watch some golf um we'll send you another not that we sent you to this one but maybe next time we'll we'll kind of like send you yeah i drove so maybe pay yeah, for the flight gas money or whatever I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to see what all the hype was about. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash greenlight. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash greenlight to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, couple football orders of business before we head into uh, RG3 here. First off, Marcus Davenport cut off part of his pinky or his finger. What, after surgery or something? I just read that. Uh, Marcus Davenport, of course, a defensive end for the uh, for the Saints, um, had some sort of injury, and the best he, course of action was to just <clears throat> delete the digit. He broke a plate uh, from a previous uh, surgery and was experiencing an infection, so had to get the... So if I have a deformed finger, Reed, 
Um, and obviously the doctors are great now. If, oh, if you, I have a deformed finger yours. and I'd like to maybe add a, a, a digit to one of my other digits. Take Marcus, called Marcus Davenport, be like, don't throw that shit away. No, I'm not saying I want his finger. I'm saying oh. I want to put my finger on the edge of my penis and make it longer. <laughs> huh. Is that right? Which finger? Thumb? And it would give me hang time. <laughs> I get a dick that hangs if I put my pinky out That's there. Tight. That's good. <laughs> well, I was on Marcus Davenport's finger. Marcus Dickenport, excuse yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> well, Ronnie Lott did that. Legend- Not the penis thing. Legendary. <laughs> Ronnie Lott cut part of his finger off to play in a playoff game. Marcus Davenport did it in the off season. This is what makes him even more legendary. There's nothing. There's nothing to get ready for. There's nothing that you absolutely have to cut your pinky off for. Like, he was, like, playing Xbox one day. He has to remap his Xbox controller now. Yeah, dude. I remember when I got a hand surgery once, I asked the doctor, I was like, will I be able to play Xbox again? When they fuse his hand. He's going to bumper jumper on Halo. I was like, not what I expected to hear from an NFL player. But (laughs) I was like, because I don't have to have this surgery. I will deal with the debilitating pain. Um, so shout out to Marcus Davenport cutting half his finger off, dude. Hockey players would never. Um, and then Ron Rivera, the Washington Commanders, another one bites the dust. I said that earlier, and no read, he didn't die. Uh, not a time of recording or anything. Uh, Ron Rivera, um, got busted. Man, the feds rolled up. The NFL feds rolled up. They, 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 they did a sting in your old stomping grounds in Chicago, and then the feds rolled up. They, they kicked the door down Fence and they were doing search. That's how I imagine the NFLPA actually executing one of these busts when there's too much contact in an OTA practice. They kick the door open. There's like tear gas in there. Ron Rivera's like, God damn it. And like, <laughs> flashbang is off. is like, Heavenly Father. <laughs> and they're just like, you know, they're like, you're practicing too hard. Okay, everybody go home. Fuck. Uh, and and that's been happening. We used to more. dream of that. Yeah, dude. We used to pray for that, dude. We used, used to say the buses are here, the NFL is here. Yeah, well, we used to be like, uh, PA, D. Marie Smith. Yeah. You know, like just yelling random. D. Marie Smith. Just yelling people's names that we've seen at the meetings and training camp. Like, I think that guy works for the PA. It's his number in my phone. But we never snitched because we were like, Man, that's against the code. We can't never. I'm not gonna take a picture of the clock and say I'm still out on the practice field. We've been out here two, more than two hours. I don't know if people are snitching now or if the PA just means more business. What's your stance on... So when I retired, I found out that one of my longtime teammates who was a vet... Was a snitch. Was a snitch. I don't like it. Nor did I. I've heard rumblings about people that in NFL buildings, we say people go upstairs, you know, like, uh, yeah. now, of course, people go upstairs. Like Some I've guys know where the stairs, stairs are. I've walked up the stairs plenty of times. But they were more to like, hey, I got to follow up on this thing or whatever. Like when you go upstairs and you're telling people about other people's business downstairs to get ahead or to enforce some sort of like some people I think snitch and they think they're doing the team a favor, but you're not doing the team a favor. And when I signed with one of the teams I signed with, they were like, hey, man, do you want to be our your, like our guy? Yeah, and I was like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. I was kind of like, am I being proposition for sex? Yeah. Like, what is going is on? Is this how here? I get the role? Like, well, yeah, what role? Just point at it. I'll Just suck it. Just point at it. Yeah, like point to something <laughs> in the room. I will fuck it. Would you rather hands? They were like, no, easier than that. They were like, you just have to tell us what other people are doing. Ugh. They didn't say it outright, but you know, it's kind of I would have like, said, you fucking idiots don't have cameras like the other 31 teams? No, I was kind of like, yeah, I probably won't do that. Yeah. And went about my business. They were like, well, this guy used to do this for me. 
And I was like, I don't know what you're asking me, and it makes me uncomfortable. I've never been comfortable with people that go upstairs. Now, snitching on a team, being on the practice field too long, or doing too much contact and drills and getting us a weekend off, that's what's happened. Uh, I don't know if it was a snitch, but Ron Rivera, 100K in NFL fines, docks the commanders to 2023 OTA practices. So this is the worst, bro. They got to wait a year. To get that, like some guys are celebrating right now, they're not even gonna see this. Well, like the thing that's interesting to me is this: the fans' reaction to a lot of these teams getting, uh, you know, reprimanded for going too hard. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to some football fans, and some people say, like, do teams just not understand the rules? And then some people say, good, these pussies are finally going hard. Like, if you're a fan of a bad team and you see that your team is getting in trouble for going Mm -hmm. too hard in the spring with a new coach, like Bears fans, I've spoken to some. They're tired of it. And hell yeah, we're not going to go seven and whatever uh, again. It's going to be great. Oh, no, we practice hard in St. Louis. But it's like, hey, we can win all the practice reps in the world, but I promise you when the New England Patriots line up, I'm using that as the team that used to just mollywomp us. Their coach is better. They're just better. Their coach is better. Like You can try as hard as you want, but you're going to get beat. Yeah, we can practice all this stuff as long as we want, but what if we're not practicing the right stuff? So you've probably already covered this. What do you think about these coaches that are coming in and doing this? So... I actually think it's understandable how you might, you know, fuck something like this up. Like, what are the, st- the standards and the guidelines for contact in the spring? Like, I'm sure it's pretty ticky-tack. Um, but at the same time, if we've collectively bargained for something, like, this is, you know, we had to give something up to get these things. So, like, we want our end of the deal. And uh, quite frankly, guys are tired. Like, veterans are tired. Like, that time of year, maybe we don't need all the reps. It's kind of an arbitrary, like, limit or arbitrary point that they've identified and been like nothing beyond this but i do think it's a good thing they keep them in check right but i I was joking the other day about how like you know if a coach you know gets busted for something like this he can kind of wear it like a badge of honor at the coach's meeting like damn bro like he's got his household in order you know, like when the he, other side of it, I completely agree. Yeah. Like when he shows up to Tampa Bay or wherever they they do their tropical yeah. meeting in the yeah. winter, yeah, the one where everybody wears a Hawaiian. Shirt. I'm thinking about that meeting he has on July 27th with his team for the first meeting of training camp, and he's and Coach Eberflus says, "How'd you guys enjoy that break?" Mm-hmm. And some of the guys in the room have the wherewithal to understand that a new coach is saying. I'm a player's coach. Mm-hmm. On the outside, it looks like we practiced too hard because mm-hmm. we did go hard for a day or two. Mm-hmm. And you guys earned the break. Mm-hmm. So as a player, I'm saying this fucking guy gets it because mm-hmm. he's appeasing the fans and he's appeasing the players. So I, I, I don't think anybody does it on purpose, but it would be a tremendous spin if you get busted to come back in August and be like, guys, I wanted to give you the day off. You know, like, hey, I'm a player's coach, but we're going to work hard. This was my way of pulling the buses up and going to the movies. I the, love that. The John Fox the water pulled the buses park. up to go to the movies. When the, the buses showed up, John Fox couldn't contain a smile because he Bro. knew we were going to love it. And that's great and everything, <laughs> but also just give me a day off and give me choice. Let us go like, home. If I want to go to the water park, I'll go to the water park. John Fox, I take it back. Mark Tressman, Matt Nagy brought us to Top Golf and all that stuff. Yeah. John Fox said, you guys get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Do what you want. Yeah, yeah. Kyle, I know you're going golfing. He gets it. Yeah, He gets it. Steve Spagnuolo made me go to Invictus with the rest of the team. Poorly acted. It's poorly produced. The cinematography's trash. There were a lot of optional movie opening like 
previews. elbow to elbow with Fred Robbins and Cliff Ryan, dude. <laughs> I'm supposed to be off right now. So, anyways, uh, I love I'm those. I'm 34. Guys. Yeah, no, at this point <laughs> I was young. So, at 34, I wasn't going to see Invictus. Yeah, especially because it would have had to be on like BHS. last year as the first year player on the Chiefs. I was the only guy in any of the optional meetings. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where? That's is how you get ID as a snitch. Where is everybody? Look at this fucking guy. Uh, yeah. But anyways, the last piece of uh, NFL news before we get to RG3. Well, it's not news, but I watch the Pivot podcast clips. I don't listen to any podcasts, um, but I do watch the socials, and I think they do a great job. I'm a big fan of Fred Taylor's. I think Fred Taylor is like, I wish Fred Taylor was my vet, dude. Like, I just watching him talk, I'm like, bro, I would have just sat there at a lunch table with Fred Taylor and asked him questions. Man, like, that guy's seen 10 lifetimes of football. But Channing Crowder's great on there, too. Ryan Clark. Channing's really funny. But they had Garrett Wilson. Channing's on. hilarious. Channing's really funny. I would have liked to play with Channing, too. Ryan Clark, maybe I not wish so I got much to play against the him. friendly fire aspect of Ryan Clark. I think Ryan Clark's the classic guy that would knock you the fuck out and you're on his team. You know, like some of the worst concussions. A meat missile, and stuff. as we call them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Roquan, Roquan Smith type. Yeah, dude, guys that, you know, like when the receiver goes down and I'm pursuing from the pile and we go over the top and Ryan Clark's on the other side, like... That's how David Montgomery, the running back, is. Yeah. Um, for those of for those listeners of the pod that don't watch the Bears, David Montgomery runs so fucking hard. He ran so hard, I was blocking a linebacker 10 yards downfield in Denver, and he just had his head down, he ran into my back and my hip tore. That's oh, he, how, he David Montgomery? David Montgomery, and I'm a huge fan of David. Like, well, the fucker anymore. runs so hard anyways my point is they had garrett wilson on and it was a really innocuous looking interview they're just talking about the rookie dinner and garrett's he's just thinking about how awesome the nfl is going to be he's like yeah it's going to be great i'm you know when i get up to new york the, the, the receivers are taking me out to dinner it's going to be dope in new york yeah in new york Eaton, new jersey yeah so go to rhode island as soon as he says that's dope go to hang him as soon as he says that's dope Channing Crowder's doing the like, no, no it's not. not. I don't think you understand. This is not cool, dude. It's not, this is not a gift to you. I know this sounds like they're taking you out to dinner, but what's going to happen here is that you're going to pay for their dinner and they're going to order all the expensive shit on the menu and people are going to show up that aren't even on the team and you're going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? It's like pledging like, in a fraternity. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's a rookie dinner, dude. So you can just see the, the terror come over. You know the gif of John Cena where his face just shrinks into itself yes. and it's like yes. it's like just shrinking realization like, yeah it's a giant Garrett Wilson had a John Cena face because when they said that it might cost you $75,000 to take your wide receiver friends out to dinner it was like he rethought the NFL dude and Channing Crowder's laughing <laughs> and Ryan Clark's laughing and Fred Taylor's laughing and it's like he wasn't even warned about he wasn't this, in on dude. the joke he wasn't even in on the on the joke. He learned, and we watched a rookie learn in real time that yeah. he has to pay a tax. They did tell me about the dinner. I got to take all the receivers to a dinner. Mm -hmm. That's going to be cool. I'm excited for that. It's not going to be cool. No, you know they're going to run that bill up? Like 75000 Oh, yeah. You, you mean like the, the, the Louis the 13th you're going to have to buy at the restaurant? I'm, nah, they ain't, they ain't doing me for 75k. I ain't going to fake it. Nah, That's, nah, nah. It's the rookie ain't... dinner. It's all of y'all. You the 10th pick of the draft, too. They know you got 20 guaranteed. Wait, what you say, rookie dinner? It's... He thinks, it, he thinks it's his decision. <laughs> <laughs> that was so cute. That conversation happens in the cafeteria usually. Or, yeah, well, this or, is the problem with the NFL the way it is now. Guys aren't, you know, hanging out in the building long enough to have these conversations. God, you're right. But Garrett Wilson, man, realized that he was going to spend 
you know, a, a midsize SUV on a dinner. And, and I just thought it was so funny. It had me thinking about my rookie, uh, my rookie, and you said it, Kyle, he's in New York, so he's going to be absolutely fucked, dude. But in St. Louis, we managed to spend 30 grand on a dinner, and I'm, I'm the first-round pick, and it's just the defense, and I'm, and, and I'm picking up you know, 90% of that bad boy. Um, I'm talking, man, 23, 24, 20. I, I dropped a Kia, dude, on this dinner, and it could have been worse. It could have been. And it was a Sorento, which it, is like yeah, a top-of-the-line SUV. It could have SUV. been a new Land Cruiser, yeah. which, by the way, those are very expensive. It could have been a new, like, family SUV, but what I was is I was compliant. Do it once, do it right, right? Like when coaches say, hey, we go out here, we do this once, we get it right, we'll be off the field in 10 minutes. Yep. It's the same thing with rookie dinners, bro. If you just realize that this is part of the deal, is it fair? Not necessarily. Did those guys earn you any money? Not necessarily. But you are kind of lucky you're a first-round pick and you're going to make all this fucking money, especially in the old CBA. You're going to get taxed. And if you're an asshole, you're going to get taxed more. Yes. If you are compliant during your rookie dinner, they might not even cut your hair. You know what I mean? Like, they might not forcefully cut and your hair. And somebody might feel bad enough at the end of the table to say... 2000 on this well in my case i was cool so and we'll when get to that a couple dudes tried to take a bottle of louis a couple bottles of louis 13th to go stupid like, like they were slurpees dude and no. louis 13th is like i don't know how much two grand a bottle maybe i don't more. know i don't know well, that night i was i wasn't counting but i had to say hey enough is enough dude this is my limit but when i said that because i had been so cool i think like some of the vets were like yeah dude uh, I'm not going to name the player that was trying to take a duffel bag of Louie home, but they were like, dude. Brought a fucking duffel bag to dinner. Not a duffel bag. <laughs> That's great. Game, I can yeah. picture that, yeah. I mean, like two Davio bags. Yeah, ski mask like on, two, too. You know, two Fleming's bags. But the bottom line is we do get taxed in the NFL. Some people were shocked. Some people were like, That's not right. The whole thing. I was like, Well, it's, it's not really about fair. It's just about the way it is. Well, hey, look, people expect us to spend an exorbitant amount of money on charity and giving back to our communities, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to have a workplace that's healthy environment. When you get to the league, there's veterans that expect you to do certain things, and there's not many of them, one of which is a rookie dinner. If you're a first-round pick, like you're just saying, yeah. you take the older guys out, you show them a good time, you show them that you're okay with being the young guy and footing the bill, and they'll leave you alone forever. Yep. When I went on my rookie dinner, I was a first-round pick, 20th pick post-CBA, different boats, but same channel. I had to pay for the dinner. And on my way out, I realized that the bill should have been a lot higher, but we had some veterans in the room who said, you know what, he responded well to having to pay for the dinner. And guys like Jermon Bushrod, Matt Lawson, Roberto Garza, foot part of the bill for me. Yep. And every other dinner every subsequent dinner after that roberto garza refused for anybody else to pay yeah he wanted to pay yeah that's what a veteran is and that's what you hope to become in the league to, to where you can just not even bat an eye at paying for yeah. the the dinner for your young guys because it's about like you said the, the new league not got guys aren't standing in the cafeteria and we're not just talking about how they're going to hit you like tax you on the dinner Every day as a rookie, especially with old veterans, I quote tweeted and was like, these are pre-CBA veterans, 2011 CBA. After 2011 CBA, everything changed. The NFL got, it just got different. The veterans seemed less harsh. You had to be more tactful as a veteran. You know, veterans in 2008, like I walked in, it was like the Wild West. Like Leroy Glover was packing a dip during practice. He had a Louis Vuitton belt on. I got four 34-year-old guys in there in my D-line room like, not to mention there's less veterans now because they're not paying them, you know. Um, 
it's just it was really tough to be a rookie back then and Garrett Wilson got a taste of what it would have been like to be in a room with guys like Ryan Clark Fred Taylor, Channing Crowder, some of the guys I play with, yep. it's just not the same. And maybe they don't hit him for 75, but they're gonna hit him. They're gonna hit him up there. But it's every day in the meeting room too. If you're a dickhead from the start, people are gonna make your life hell every Sensitive day. fine, you yeah, know, dude, this, like, that, the third, big baller fine. Do it once, do it right. Yeah. Real quick, there was a hazing thing with you that I think maybe was a little bit over the line. Yeah, well, rookie year uh, in Chicago, you stay in the dorms. You stay at Olivet Nazarene University. Shout out to Bourbon A, Illinois. Some of my fondest Sounds memories. delicious. Uh, near the cornfields in Bourbon A. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a three-story dorm, four-story dorm, and rookies are up top. Uh, vets are on the bottom floor. The O-line has the, you know, the corridor. And um, so I got to go up the, the three flights of stairs. It's my first night staying in the dorm, and uh, it's the first night with the veterans there as well. I go into my room and I'm I'm laying in the bed. I have my laptop on, all dark in my room. I'm watching The Sopranos. It's sure. my it's my first time watching The Sopranos, and uh, all of a sudden I feel it's like eleven o'clock. I'm getting ready to wind down. I feel something on my arm, so I turn my laptop to shine the light towards my arm, and there's a tarantula that's about that big, sitting there with one little hand up, like, and I my immediate reaction was like smack the fucking thing against the wall so fast but i jumped up out of bed and didn't touch it you know i was like and i, and I didn't scream but i sprinted in the hallway and then i was like yo get in here everybody get in here all the dbs all the receivers the whole rookie floor was in my dorm and nobody would go in the room they were all like peeking around the door right yes. with phones out and yes. And everything and the thing was right there on the bed clear as day white sheets black spider um and i didn't end up you know i called animal control i was like get this fucking thing out of my room oh, yeah and uh i didn't sleep in the room i slept i slept in the basement uh, the bottom floor in the training room where they have like uh, normatex and stuff mm -hmm. i slept on the massage table yeah. um to be off the ground and like you know i just wanted to get a good night's sleep and i'm horribly afraid of spiders the next morning we're all catching up at the cafeteria uh, on campus and John Bostic the second round pick linebacker out of Florida he said motherfucker Kyle you're not going to believe this and I was like what happened he's like I went to go put on my deodorant this morning and I pulled a tarantula out of my dop kit now we got a pattern now we need to look into this thing and we both found PetSmart bags in our room so somebody had gone to PetSmart bought some exotic spiders and put them in our if you only had an FBI agent on your team. Peanut Tillman. I thought Roberto Garza did it at first because I don't know why I associated a Brownsville, Texas Mexican with putting tarantulas in my bed, but I just thought it was fitting because yeah. Roberto's the wild type. He wears snakeskin boots and cowboy hats. I'm like, he yeah. put the fucking tarantula. Yeah, he looks like he just might have some tarantulas like, laying around. He has a tarantula farm in Brownsville. Okay. So it wasn't him. You know, I looked him in the eye. I was like, Roberto. You sir, have to tell me. Sir. No, it was more like Roberto. Yeah. Was it your spider? Yeah. Like it was very funny. And yeah. he was like, Kyle, it was not my fucking spider, but it was hilarious. You know what I mean? But he yeah. wouldn't tell me. He wouldn't yeah. snitch. He wouldn't break the code. Yeah. And a lot all signs pointed to Charles Tillman, who still hasn't admitted it. But he's a he's an FBI agent now. So we had Charles Tillman uh, out in the Blue Wire studio when we were in Vegas and I asked him square. Like I just looked him in his fucking eyes, dude. He just, he passed the test, Kyle. I don't he's, think it was him. Uh, he's, do you have a, do you have suspect number three? Because we think we might need to look to number three. I ran out of suspects. Could have been Jay, Cut, Jay Cutler? God, it could have been.
You never thought about that, huh? Never, never assumed he was a suspect. He's like Kaiser Sose. I need to do some research on yeah, Kaiser Sose. Do Sose's. some research. Well, oh, no, no, no. Kaiser Sose is the usual suspects. Okay. Spoiler alert. He That's did a it. movie? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Well, I don't watch movies. Yeah. Well, this is one that people are going to get freaked <laughs> out about you not watching. Yeah, hey, I don't watch movies. If there's any movie that people can't wait to tell you about, Usual Suspects is like the prince. Is that the movies. one where the guys have like love and live on their hands tattooed? Uh, Boondock no. Saints. No, Boondock Saints. Yeah. Another, another, I love that movie movie. No, this is another level. But you know movie. what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm just telling you, you're going to get a lot of, you haven't seen? Ugh. By the way. I haven't seen The Godfather. Just, Suck my dick. Oh, wow, dude. Really? Yeah. Suck my Italian dick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fungu. What do they say? Fungu. Uh, fungu. That's good. I was like, fuck it. So, anyways, <laughs> um, we did our movie uh, dinner scene draft. Yep. Or it wasn't a draft. That was something I had to explain to people the other day. Uh, and the the uh, the fan questions are in. A lot of people said we what would they what were the most common? The Beatles? most common was that read one. So read one somehow with wedding crashers the dinner the segment which you're right it it has aged poorly did you watch it what was the movie well, with I, the well, dinosaur kids the baby with i the don't dinosaur. even mean that the crude humor dinosaur kids land before time no no no, no. the the, the lot the live action dinosaur movie that we watched when we were kids when they were eating at the table they opened the trash thing and there's a little dinosaur eating the trash oh uh yeah 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 I that's know. my yeah, movie yeah, the scene. little one the yellow shirt it's that's a, it's my a, movie it's called dinosaurs i'm not worried about the crude humor reed grow up reed I just don't think it was that funny. I just think after a while, I'm like, yeah, that was super funny when I was a 23-year-old college guy. Like, I, you know, some of the quotes persist, but, I, I'm, you know, not into the wedding crash. Hey, Chris, so. rule number 76, no excuses, play like a champion. Oh, my God, dude. Gotcha, and, and let me ask you a question. When somebody says that quote to you, are you like, that that's a cool guy? Of, yeah, I'm like, that guy's cool. <laughs> like the guy at a bachelor party, that's the perfect uh, place to quote wedding crash. Yes. It's a bachelor party. Strip club. All my friends are, have long been married. Dude. When your friend's too drunk and he wants to get in the Uber, but you want to stay out. It's like rule number 76. Oh, I'm being an adult right now. Yeah. Okay. You're, you've, you have, Where are the you other have rules? urine on your khakis and you want to go to the strip club, dude. Like. I'm I'm going home. Mm -hmm. Why don't we quote wedding crashers again? Spin yeah. the wedding crashers. Give me another wheel. quote. Oh, why don't we hit Anchorman while we're at it? Brick killed a guy. Yeah, that has aged better than wedding crashers. Anyways, uh, thank you for uh, if you if you did. Thank you for giving your opinion on best movie scene. Uh, and next time you give your opinion, try not to do it in this format. No fill in the blank question mark. That's my least favorite thing in the world. Mm. If you see a list, a top 10 list, a draft, and it's you It's like say, telling a pretty girl to smile more. It's just unacceptable. It's just so fucking stupid because you're looking at the list. No, there is. I don't see Beetlejuice. Do you? Beetlejuice. Just say you wish the there Beetlejuice was dinner a great was supposed scene. to be in there. Hey, Mr. Taliman, <laughs> let me be Daylight come. And then she goes. <laughs> And then the ghost comes like down and they're fucking like the sexual energy at that haunting. Did you know what I put at number five, Kyle? Do you remember in Hannibal when the, you know, Hannibal Lecter uh, uh, and he Chianti. feeds the guy to the pig? No, the sequel. You need to see Hannibal. You haven't seen good uh, Godfather. Godfather. You probably haven't seen Hannibal. No. <laughs> Anyways, 
Uh, thanks for your thanks for your commentary. Just don't do it like that, dude. It's obviously no. There's no Beetlejuice. I don't see. How about you say on my list? I would have exactly. That's a great dude. Speak for yourself. It's dude. called therapy speak. When you say I feel R- on my list, I would have. Yeah, that's what people need to say instead of you don't have. Right, dude. That's just fucking yeah. annoying. All right. Anyways, we are going to talk to RG3 about Baker Mayfield. I have one take in particular. It's kind of a hypothetical uh, June football take, which is that if the Browns say, you know, we need you, Baker, Deshaun Watson is uh, being suspended for a year. Uh, if I was Baker Mayfield, I'd play. I'd play for the Browns because you're not going to find a better destination to try to be the bridge to whatever the next five to seven years holds for you as a starting quarterback, if that bridge even exists, then the Cleveland Browns, they're loaded. I mean, like, now the news came out, and we recorded this RG3 interview a couple days ago, full disclosure, but the news came out that the Browns are now willing to pay half his salary to go away. Mm. Uh, and that tells me that they might have some interest from trade partners, or this is a way of, of them kind of garnering the interest that you might expect they might have. But there's only a couple of fucking musical chairs still. Who are the suitors? Carolina, so the Panthers, San Francisco, Seattle. Seattle's the biggest yeah. one right now because their current quarterback room is... July. Which stadium would Baker Mayfield like to live in? That's a great question, dude. <laughs> Pod just got longer. Got it. So, no, in a, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's talk about it. Well, uh, what are the options? <laughs> well, Charlotte's great. No, it's not. I got a, I got somebody threw okay, me you out. Go first. Somebody threw me out of that house, dude. Grew up a Panthers fan they my whole did. life. Got in a little scuffle and then had to go. They did. Fuck, dude. There's no air conditioning down in Miami. It probably gets really hot. Awful. Uh, I, if there is a, if there is a position to play when you're in Miami, it's quarterback, bro. Probably Green Bay. I hate to say that to you, but like it's surrounded by houses. You have neighbors, dude. Like you could climb up to the upper deck and see how, see what's cooking next door and, you know, yell at your neighbors and then pop down and go down the street. Such a storied town. He could just like get quarterback tips from all the ghosts. I don't think they're there, dude. The hallowed ground. Okay. But you don't have an answer. I think Lambeau is a great answer. Also, property values are delicious. You don't really have an owner. Yeah, well, I have a lot of owners. No, but if you're a Packer. That's what I'm saying. Everybody's an owner. Everybody that's at my... They're the best fans because everybody that's at the game is invested. And they don't even have real cheerleaders. Hey, Reed, um, where would you live if you were Baker Mayfield? Denver. We got the fire (laughs) situation figured out. Our our house isn't on fire anymore. But when you I, when you got to drive somewhere from your house, when you what do you say when you? Let's ride. Let's, let's ride. ride. Let's ride. Broncos. Broncos country. And then every every time you leave your house, you see that giant horse, dickless horse. Somehow, just the a, blue horse with the demon eyes. That okay? Can we talk about the Denver airport? No, no, no. That's okay. another podcast. Okay. okay. Here's RG three. If you're here in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, and you haven't tried the WinBet app yet, I have great news for you. WinBet is now offering $200 in free bets for new users. That's right, $200, 200 big ones on a $50 bet. WinBet is basically giving you free money. Don't turn that down. Don't pass that up. Download the WinBet app today. 
Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I got RG3. I got Robert Griffin III here, and I was just laughing with uh, Robert because... Played against him a couple times, watched him from from afar, and we've never actually, we've texted, we've talked on the phone, but now we're meeting in person on Zoom by 2022 standards. Nice to meet you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, brother. And I saw that tattoo on your arm, man. Like, I got a couple of them on myself. You're, getting, my you're legs, getting tatted so. now. A little bit, you know, just trying to delve a little bit. The, the longer you wait to get tattoos, the better they become. Because if you have yeah. enough money to pay, yeah. you can get a much better tattoo. Dude, whenever you see a bad tattoo on an athlete, it's because <laughs> they, they got the tattoo too, too early. That's the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. You know, they got the initials on the bicep or the name on the back or yep. something. Maybe like a little bull right here. You know they got that one. Nice or place. Trent Brown's uh, two naked women and a guy in a football helmet with 77 on his pack, which it's okay Trent's made fun of it we talked about it on this show and then what what makes matters worse for guys you know like in the locker room where you're like man that's a bad tattoo is a lot of guys got them before they hit their growth spurts oh now they're all stretched out you know we got a little stretch marks on them a little bit like, yes dude. i know this this is not what we're supposed to be talking no, about no this is what this show is about dude this show, so you got you got a sleeve now on you have half a sleeve or the full sleeve so i've got the whole inside sleeve of my my left arm and then I'm gonna get the right side finished this summer. But my entire left leg is tattooed up. Uh, I did that in two sessions. Uh, it took nine to ten hours both sessions. You're I a marathon guy, huh? I, you know, I just listen. If I'm gonna be in pain, I might as well go ahead just and be in pain there, one time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sit there, get it done with. I'm not trying to come back for seven sessions, yep. man. Yeah. <laughs> the leg. They say the leg's painful, though. Yes, the leg is painful. Uh, I will say this: the like lower leg, calf, all that, not a problem. Upper leg, inside area, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the hamstring. Yeah, the hamstring yeah. feels like they're carving off flesh yeah, from your yeah. body, <laughs> but the inside is just you know it's too close to some other areas. Yeah. So you get a little nervous. All right. So so do this. Well, you're a quarterback, so you might not you might not answer this question the same as me. But like a nine hour session on a leg sleeve or a week in training camp at Baylor. In oh the my heat. goodness! Which one? Which <laughs> what would you rather well, sit it, through? Uh, it, it, well, I'm not gonna lie. I love football, so I, I'd rather do the football. <laughs> yeah, because a quarterback, y'all, yeah, hey, man, we we used to be getting <laughs> hydrated, stretch it out, like just basically getting wheeled out there, the linemen, and we, you guys would be hey. out there in red, red jerseys, just looking spry. Oh come on now! 118 degrees out there, yeah. and when you're when you're a, a mobile guy, yeah. practice is a lot harder you're right. when you're a mobile guy than it is when you just stand in the pocket and throw the football. That's so. a really good point, dude. I want to let's start there because like we're talking about mobile guys. I told you I want to talk to you about Lamar a little bit, man. Like first off, I want to say this. I was just telling the guys like I didn't know much about you when you were young, other than that you were great at football. And I think a lot of times with like college football legends who have success in the league, also like. I would assume big ego and that sort of thing. And you were dealt some adversity and like yeah. through your career, I just want to say this, like I feel the same way about Cam. Cam was always a superstar. And then at the end of his career, he had to deal with a lot of adversity and he handled that like an absolute champ. And you handled like your role in Baltimore and even the injury in Cleveland. I thought you were real classy about everything. So number one, I respected you the most when you were doing the least on the field, honestly, because you, you were a vet to Lamar. 
And right. I think that's a really cool thing and how it comes full circle. So what was that rela- what's that relationship like now? What was it like on the field? And like, what do you think would help him? And he's an MVP, and I think it's unfair to yeah. ask this question almost, but what would take him to the next level? Yeah, Chris, I appreciate you saying all that. And, you know, even going back to my last year in Washington in 2015, when I didn't play a snap, yeah. I still had yeah. to be there for Kirk Cousins and Colt McCoy. And I, I, I took pride in being a pro in those situations. As you know, in life, everything's not going to go the way that you want it to. So when I had an opportunity to sign with Baltimore, I absolutely knew like the chances of me making that team were slim to none. Right. Uh, they had actually brought me in before they drafted Lamar. And when they drafted Lamar, you can honestly say like the power of Twitter saved my job because as soon as they drafted Lamar, I sent out a tweet and I said, I can't wait to get to, you know, get to work with this young guy uh, and be there for him. And my quarterback coach called me like 10 minutes later and he said, Hey man, really appreciate you sending that out. You know, uh, that, that went a long way with the guys in the building uh, and the ones making the decision. So the way I took that was like, Man, they were about to cut me after <laughs> yeah, they drafted Lamar. I'm like, yeah. golly, I just got here. I just saved you know? my job on Twitter. They just saved my job because of a tweet. But yeah. no, nah, the relationship yeah. with Lamar was great. Um, what I tell people is like his first year was a frustrating year for him because everyone thought like he was going to come in. Right. Teams wanted him to play receiver, right. wanted to play another position. And he was dealing with all of that. But when Joe Flacco got hurt and he had to be thrusted into, you know, to go out and play, I thought he handled it great. And then the following year, I saw him really open up. And that's when he really started asking a ton of questions, getting the feedback. And I felt like I was really being able to be more of a mentor for him in that second year, which I think is the year he went out and won MVP. Um, But but our relationship was (laughs) our relationship was great. Uh, I, I literally saw the guy do stuff on the field that I've never seen anyone do. And stuff that I'd never seen him do. Like yeah. in practice, he would never make this throw. And then in the game, he would just do it. And I'm like, you know, that's just a sign of a guy who who just has it. So uh, I think for him, to, to answer your question about what he need to do to go take the next step, I think he's got to stay healthy. Obviously, last year he yeah. missed like the last four games. Um, but when he's protected, man, the dude is lethal from the pocket. Uh, he, he actually carries the Ravens more than any other quarterback in the league carries their team because of the workload they put on top of them. Exactly. So, so as you said, like, do one MVP. Right. What more can you do? Yes, he can improve in the pocket, throwing the ball, being more consistent in that regard, throwing to the boundaries. You hear all these talking points all yeah. the time on TV. But they don't but, hold up. Dude, the talking points hold yeah. up when you look at the tape. I mean, like, it sounds like no. people, Yeah, that's the thing. It's. No. I think for me, it's just... The offense in general, like what does the offense have to do more than him? I mean, because obviously he his productivity is maxed out, but I wonder, you know, because we used to play Greg Roman twice a year in the NFC West, and they were some dogs, and they had a really complex <laughs> run scheme, and when you pair that with Lamar, it's damn near lethal, but at times, you know, I think about the Miami game, or I think, and all quarterbacks have bad games, but the offenses in general have bogged down, and, you know, I don't know if that offense needs to evolve a little bit to fit his skill set if that makes sense, the, do you no, feel no. that way? No, no. I, I, what you're saying is spot on. Like the talking points that you hear on TV, a lot of times aren't spot on with Lamar. But they're trying to. They have to find something to talk about. And, and you know this, like finding that content on a daily basis when you work at one of these networks can be difficult. So sometimes people fall into just yeah. saying stuff yeah, the because yeah. it's the easy narrative, the easy thing to say. 
So, yeah, Lamar's not maxed out as far as like his potential, but yeah. what the Ravens can do with him yeah. and have done with him. I mean, they broke the a record that like lasted for 60 years when it, when I was uh, there in Baltimore running the ball. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that when you get a Greg Roman offense, you better buckle your chin strap on yeah. that day because no they're going to run the heck out of the football. And when you talk about scheme, I just think they have to use the regular season to figure out who else they can rely on outside of Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. Right. Because when you get to the playoffs, as you know, they're going to try to make you play left-handed. Yeah. So is James Prochet a receiver that can step up for you? Is Devin Duvernay a guy that can step up for you? Are you going to lean more on J.K. Dobbins and, and Gus Edwards now that they're back from injury, or do you lean on Mike Davis? I hate to say it, like, you know, every team's trying to win and, you know, all the time. But I think the Ravens got to go out there and, and kind of treat it like a Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan situation. Like throughout the year, Jordan's going to get his 30 points. Yeah. But in the middle of that game, he's going to work on a part of his game that he's maybe not as strong at so that when he gets to the playoffs, he can re- he can rely on yeah. that jump shot, that fadeaway. Yeah. So that's how I look at the Ravens. They got to spend the regular season and try to schematically take some stuff off of Lamar. Because there's no way uh, for 17 to 21 games he can be Superman every single game. Right. And that's what they have to do. And that's really tough, too, in their division now. Like, that wouldn't have been yeah. as tough in the past. But now, all of a sudden, you got maybe Deshaun. I'll leave that there. And then uh, and then you obviously got Joe Burrow uh, right down the way. So it's tough for them to, like, tinker with stuff. But you're right. The preseason isn't enough to try new concepts for them. But... I think you said it like you can't just rely on Mark Andrews and like going back a year, your, your free agency uh, can't yield like, uh, you know, no offense to any of these guys, but Gus Edwards or whatever it was, uh, it was Villanueva. And then, you know, they bring in some other receiver like Bateman's exciting to me. I know he wasn't a free agent, but but is he going to be the number one that Lamar needs to take it to the next level? Do they need to bring another receiver in? I mean, it's too late at this point. Yeah, I mean, I would say from a receiver standpoint, they really like Rashad Bateman. Yeah. Uh, he's got size, speed, strength. Uh, all the, the communication, at least with me and them out of their camp, was that this guy, he's, he's a true guy. number one. Okay. He's the guy. Well, that's so good. I do think that they'll, they have an opportunity there. But as you know, like, he hasn't proven it yet. So we can't, like, stamp him as, the, as a true number one yet until yeah. he goes out and does it. No question. Uh, I, looking at their roster, I'm with you. They need to bring in a guy, yeah. just a veteran. I mean, it, I don't know who it maybe it's Julio Jones. I don't know. Right. They yeah. got to bring in some veteran to kind of help the receiver core or at least to give the fan base some confidence that they have another guy there who's done it before. Because right now in the roster, they don't have that. Now, I worked extensively with Prochet and DuVernay when they were rookies. Yeah. So I know that they're like they're ready to take off. Yeah. Um, but schematically, schematically, I just look at it as. It's not throwing the ball. It's not, you know, uh, they don't have enough weapons. It's when they call plays. Yeah. I, yeah. I can tell you right now, guaranteed, it's third and short. They're running the quarterback, uh, the quarterback uh, draw up the middle where the back's coming across. And he's either handing it off, reading the end, or going right down the pipe on the defense as, as a quarterback. It's the last big run I had mm-hmm. when I was in Baltimore when I ran down the middle of the field for like 30 yards. And I knew it. Like, I'm in the huddle. It's third and two. I'm like, yep, they're calling that. Every single time. Now, they might be mad at me because I just gave away that secret, but it's not a secret. It's not a secret. Every yeah, team yeah. knows that when you face the Baltimore Ravens, that's what you're going to exactly. get. Exactly. Greg's been who Greg is now. The, the offense has changed a little bit, but and I agree with you. I think it's hard to ask the question, and I hate even asking it, how does Lamar take the next step? 
You could ask that yeah. about a lot of quarterbacks in the league, short of Tom Brady. Uh, but that you're always looking to improve your game and fine tune it, and I'm sure Lamar is. But he's an MVP for a reason, and I think they got to they got to put the pieces around him. I kind of fell into a, a you know a narrative uh, thing. Well, I, people felt like I fell into a narrative thing when I talked about Tua because I said he can't throw the deep ball. This isn't a slight. I mean, it, it is. It's like saying that you know, like JJ uh, Reddick's not a great dunker. Like what? It doesn't. I'm not trying to kill the kid. I'm just saying he can't throw the deep ball. What do you think we need to see from Tua this year to get him off the hot seat? Because at this point, you know, this is a business. They're always looking to try to replace you. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. It just means that hey, Tom Brady was retired for a second. They wanted Sean Payton, Tom Brady. They had, you know, they had bigger things in mind. And I think this is the prove it year for him. What does he have to do to prove it? Yeah, 100% because I think it is a prove-it year for Tua. Uh, but I, I'll take it a step further. I think that Tua hasn't really been given a true opportunity to prove what he's going to be in the NFL. Right. right. Last year, it just seemed like, you know, he was playing behind the 32nd-ranked pass-blocking unit. So, right. like, no time to throw. Everyone's saying he can't throw the deep ball. But when you go look at the numbers, you can see that he was accurate. Throwing mm-hmm. the ball down the field. They just didn't throw it down the field a lot because he didn't have enough time to do it. Right. So for Tua, I just think they don't have to go to the playoffs this year. It would be great for Miami if they went to the playoffs. I think it'd be great for Tua's career to get a lot of people off his back. He just has to show progress. Their offense can't be stalemated, you know, for two, three, four games in a row with the, the firepower that they have. Yeah. You bring in Tyreek Hill. You bring in Cedric Wilson. You bring in uh, Raheem Mostert. And then uh, the other back they brought in from the Cardinals – uh, Antron Armstead, like they just brought in a lot this of guys is, yeah, to, it's an to, to help okay. to help Tua out. And I just look at Tua, and I've said this on TV before. In college, you know this. Everyone loved Tua because of the deep ball. The guy was historic throwing the deep ball, throwing the ball down the field. Georgia fans still don't want to talk about what was it, second and twenty six when he threw the touchdown down the sideline. Yeah, they shouldn't want to talk about that, yeah, dude. They don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so I, I just think Tua has to go out there. He's got to, you know, he's got to have some 300-yard passing games where he throws for four touchdowns and, and show people that he can he can not only get the ball to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle in the short game, but he can also hit some of those deep balls. But he's not going to be able to eliminate that narrative that he doesn't have a strong arm because he doesn't necessarily have one of the strongest arms in the league. No, just and no one's saying he's got a noodle arm. It's just not he's not a top 10 deep ball thrower. I mean, that's not really his strength. Now, to your point, in college – that was more of a thing. He was also real good at the at the quick stuff, the RPO type stuff, and that's why a lot of this stuff's going to be promising. You know, I've called it a yaktory down there. I think it's going to be a yaktory with all those guys <laughs> running with the football. But when you look at like the deep balls, he has to one be confident enough to throw them because there were times where he could have thrown the ball deep, pushed it a little. Now the offense sucked. We get that. But then second, I think you pointed to some is that in college he could throw the deep ball. So what happened? He had that big hip injury. Like, I didn't know that he I, – I don't know. I still don't know if he's going to be able to get back to that form. This year is going to tell me a lot more because they're talking about things like torque and shit. When I hear torque, I think something's <laughs> going – his torque is coming back. Like, maybe maybe this is the year for him. So I think it's fair to say it's a prove-it year. But it's also fair to say he has been kind of hampered when it comes to having a chance to show that stuff. Do you think Lamar's near the top of the list of guys who, who are doing the most with the least? Like, who are the who are the guys in the league that you think kind of they make up for a lot of deficiencies around them? Oh yeah, I mean Lamar's the top of the list uh, just because of what they did last year with all the injuries, and it wasn't just offense, right? He lost right. his top three running backs, right? 
And then on defense, they lost their top two corners with Humphrey and Peters going down. And then Ronnie Stanley went down on the offensive line in the first game, which put right. Villanueva in a, you know, in a tough, tough spot. But for Lamar, he does more with less, and he does the most for his team. And it's just by way of his playing style and also the way they call the games. Other guy would probably be Aaron Rodgers. And, and this year, he's definitely going to have to do that. I know you got A.J. Dillon uh, and, and Aaron Jones there at, run, at running back, but at the wide receiver position, they just don't have a lot of proven guys. Um, I like Christian Watson, the rookie, yeah. but I think Rodgers is going to have to do more with less, at least early on until we know what Alan Lazard and Amari Rodgers and Randall Cobb, what are they going to contribute uh, to that offense? The rest of the guys in the league, uh, I mean, you look at the top guys, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, they all have prolific weapons. Mm-hmm. None of them are out there like, man, I don't have a number one guy to throw to. Right. You know, right. so they've all got they've all got guys and weapons. And I think we're seeing that more in the older days, 10, 15 years ago. You felt like the quarterback really had to be the one that just raised the level of lesser guys around him. Right. And I think NFL executives now are looking at it like, you know what? We got a top guy, but we're going to put top guys around him as well and make his job easier. That's why Brady left New England. He went to Tampa, had Mike Evans, and got Chris Godwin. He knew he was going to have weapons around him to, to help him elongate his career so he didn't have to keep carrying the team every single week. Yeah, I felt like a lot of people missed the point there. I don't, I don't know that it soured to the point where he had to leave. I think he was just like, I can't win here. You know, I got beat by Ryan Tannehill, no shade, because I love Ryan and everything, but I got beat by Ryan Tannehill in the rain at home. You know, so there's a point where people got to look out for themselves. And, and what do you make of the Kyler thing? I mean, like, I guess I say the Kyler thing, the elephant in the room is it just feels like towards the end of a season, he might slump a little bit. He might get fatigued. You've dealt with injuries. Uh, you've run the football a lot. Um, he runs the football. Like, he's got a great arm. You had a cannon, too. What do you think it is when it comes to wear and tear with quarterbacks? What What's tired on a quarterback week 11, week 12? Do you think that's what's going on with Kyler? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that could be part of it. You know, you've seen later in the year, Kyler starts to break down with his body. Yeah. You know, not not just his play. Like, he's, he'll pull a hamstring or, or, you know, ankle will go or something like that. Uh, and I think he's similar to Lamar in the sense that uh, they, they don't run Kyler as much as Baltimore runs Lamar because no one runs their quarterbacks like Baltimore right. runs, runs Lamar. But for whatever reason, not just Kyler, but the whole Cardinals team just falls off the cliff near the yeah. end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Now, DeAndre Hopkins being out definitely, definitely hurt them. Uh, but I think the Kyler situation, broadly speaking, like contract wise, the, the Cardinals have no, they have no option. They got to right. pay. Right. Because, no matter how you feel about him and how he played in the last game you saw him in, you've heard a lot of narratives about that. And the last time you saw him was bad. So why would you pay him now? They don't have a better option. Right. If he doesn't play, they're screwed. So they kind of need him to play and they got to kind of fall into that and pay him the money that he wants. But in order for Kyler to take that next step and be that quarterback in the playoffs that he can truly be, he just has to improve his decision-making. And I don't think that's talked about enough. Kyler, you know, he turns the ball over, not not at an alarming rate. But if you look at his stats throughout the games, decision making is a problem for him later in the year. He's not he's not thrown for four or five touchdowns a game. He's thrown for one touchdown in a pick or two touchdowns and two picks. And, and he's got to improve that so that he's not putting the ball in harm's way. And then I don't think it's talked about enough that he's actually like a real gunslinger. He really right? is. He yeah. 
he has a gunslinger's mentality. Yeah. He thinks he can get every throw and he's willing to make those throws. So um, until you are Brett Favre, right, and you win a Super Bowl and you prove that you can manage that and, and keep both teams in the game but go win the big one, yeah. He's got to he's got to cut back on those turnovers a little bit. What what do you think the difference is late in the year when you're having a really good year? Those couple of years you threw for like three thousand plus yards. Like, what do you think's happening later in the year uh, when a player gets is is a quarterback getting schemed up? I mean, like I sit in the meetings too, but I don't know what, what changes. Is the speed of the game increase as the season goes on? The coverages change. Is it? What do you think yields struggle like that late in the season? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you just hit every every one of the points uh, on the head there. It, teams do start to scheme you up, and I'm not a believer in, oh, well, the scheme got so good that they just eliminated this player's success. That yeah. doesn't happen. It's it's more so of when you see a different coverage and being able to adjust. When I was in Washington and Baltimore, uh, I saw coverages for myself and Lamar that aren't real coverages, right? right? They, were, they were game plan week-to-week coverages that you never saw on tape. And it was that way because your quarterback is now a threat. So it's not 10 on 10 on 11, it's 11 on 11. Right. So teams would scheme you differently. So, but I honestly think for the Cardinals, it, it was more so that they did not have DeAndre Hopkins there as a security blanket an outlet uh, that guy in the boundary that you just say, forget the play. I'm going to throw it to this guy. They didn't have that in the playoffs and late in the year when he was out. And I think that truly hurt him. Uh, but, but Kyler, I just think, uh, I don't know what's going on in the building or, or yeah. attitude wise yeah. or this or that. So I don't speak on that stuff, yeah, yeah. But, what, but what I watch on tape, he just looks a little bit more tentative late, late in the year, yeah. almost as if all those mistakes early in the season, make him a little gun shy. Uh, and I just need him to be that same confident guy. Like he has a, a little bit of an arrogant confidence to him yeah. and all yeah. the great, all the great QBs have that baseball. He's got that, that baseball gene, dude. Baseball exactly. guys got a different swag. Yes, they do. Like I'm the best. I know I'm the best. You gotta I be, just, you gotta hit that tiny ball. Oh, fucking a bunch of times, dude. It's like, come <laughs> on. I saw a guy for Tennessee was throwing 106 the other day. Dude, uh, oh. baseball players are low-key insane. Okay, so Kyler, I get it. And also, you made a great point. Like, hey, when you were talking about training camp, you guys, as guys who are actually running the fucking ball, too, are tired. Your hamstring gets tired. He's dealing <laughs> with fatigue that other quarterbacks don't have to deal with when you're part of the running right. offense. Uh, and you said it. I mean, like, there's a scheme there, too. And he's not the one calling the plays, and he's not the one drawing up the concepts. Um, Maybe he needs to be more involved in that because it does seem like Cliff gets schemed up in the second half of the season too. So I'm not putting all everything on Kyler, uh, but it is interesting, you know, when you look at it. The last quarterback situation here with Baker, man, I'm starting to feel bad for him. I'm feeling bad for him because I've been there as a player when when you play hurt and you don't get the thing out of it that you imagine you're supposed to get out of it. Yep. Right. And you've been there. Yep. So does that, how, how are you able to look at the Baker situation? Does it hit close to home at all? I mean, obviously you handle yourself differently in sound bites. But, Correct. But as a football player, was there any part of you watching him this year? Like, damn, don't do it, dude. Yeah. I mean, any guy that I see playing now when that, when we know they're hurt, it's documented that they're hurt. You know, I always just err on the side of, of trying to tell them don't do it. Right. It's not a, it's not a good thing. What you put on tape when you're hurt, they don't care. Right. They don't watch that tape and say, oh, he was hurt here. No, no, no. It's just whatever the tape is and whatever you put out there, that's who you are. So when I played hurt in 2012 for Washington, 
I did that because I was trying to be there for my teammates. Mm -hmm. And you know how that is. Like you build this brotherhood and this camaraderie and you're like, I can walk through, I can run through a wall for these guys. I don't care if my arm's falling off. I'm going to give them everything I have. And for me back then, it was morphed and turned into uh, a negative thing. And I'm just like, you feel like you watch Philip Rivers when he played with the torn ACL. Uh, and and you, you, you see how that was received. Uh, you're like, okay, well, I'm a gladiator too. I can, I can do this as well. So I'm going out there playing with no LCL mm-hmm. and ended up tearing my ACL. And I did that. And I'm like, I just gave my whole body for the team. And you felt like you didn't get that reciprocated, at least in the narratives that were talked about. So when I watched Baker, I'm like, man, this guy, the year before led them to the playoffs and won a playoff game. So now he's coming out there and he's playing you know, for his team, for his guys. And the first thing you do in the off season is just throw them to the side. And I, and I think that's a big reason why Kyler does not want to play without a new deal. He's taken the Cardinals to the playoffs the past couple of years. Uh, obviously they, didn't, they haven't had success, but they went there. And now he's like, well, I need to get paid because I'm not going to get Baker. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you, you look at this Baker situation, the Browns created a mess for themselves, man. Not only did they give $230 million guaranteed to Deshaun Watson, they blew up their whole organization for a guy with massive off-the-field issues. Right. And no matter how you really feel about Baker and, and like you said, the sound bites that have come out and what he said, he was never a distraction truly on the field. Right. Um, so I just think I do feel bad for Baker because of that whole situation, and I don't think it was necessarily needed. I think they, the Browns could have waited. Other teams could have waited for the Deshaun Watson thing to develop and and show what it was going to be before they make this move. And now Baker's obviously his career in Cleveland is just ruined. It's over. Well, here I got a loophole for you, and I was because I just it hit me. I was talking about this with somebody. I was talking to Mina Kimes about this last week. In some maybe more likely scenario than you think, Deshaun doesn't play football this year. Right. Okay, right. Baker's still under contract. You can't get a, a trade done. You decide not to cut him. I don't, I'm not a GM, so I don't know what the <laughs> money situation is there. But like, let's say you're Baker and they need you to spot right. start or start a stretch of six to eight games. Eight games, right. I think, sounds about right. I mean, not, 16, 17 games sounds right to me, but right. eight games is, is, is what's been floated. Let's say Baker has to start eight games for Cleveland. If you're Baker, are you seeing the value in that? Because I would, even though I hate right. every minute of it, you also have a chance to, to re-ingratiate yourself to a city that loved you for a second. You know, and then you actually get to get your best opportunity to audition for another starting job because I don't know that he's going to have a great opportunity in the future. What would you do if you were Baker and you had to run out of the tunnel again in a Cleveland uniform? Yeah, I've said this earlier in the offseason. I think Baker, he should be there right now. I know that he was excused and the team, the team honestly wants nothing to do with him. So I don't know if that's even an option for him to be there. But I think it's more likely that Baker plays for the Browns again if Deshaun doesn't play at all this year. Right. I think that's more likely. If it's a six to eight game time frame, they'll just play Jacoby Brissett and, and move on from Baker. And whether they win those games or lose those games, they're, they're honestly not going to care. They're just going to try to be competitive, lean on their defense in the running game until Deshaun comes back. Right. But if Deshaun's suspended for the entire season, I mean, if I'm Baker Mayfield, I'm there. I'm in that building and I'm, I'm going to go out and use this year to prove to them why they should have never went and got Deshaun Watson. Now that's my mindset. I, I'm a competitor, you know, 
I don't know how what Baker's thinking. Uh, I know that he was a walk-on when he first went to college, so I know he's got that competitive fire to him. You see him, you know, planting flags in the middle of the field in college and doing that whole deal. So I think he should be open to that possibility if Deshaun Watson isn't going to play at all this year because Baker knows that offense. Yeah, Where is he going to have more success, going back to Cleveland or going to a new team and not having an offseason to work with that offense and with those players? His, the best-case scenario for Baker is for Deshaun to get suspended for the entire year uh, so he can step back in there and kind of reestablish himself and that's going to put the Browns in all in a whole nother situation. Dude, that would be the the first take stuff would be in, insane. I I think there's competitive spirit and there's a thin line between like being ultra competitive and also being like just too prideful. We're all prideful. Yes. Like we don't yes. like being told we're we're not the guy because you have to think like you're the guy to especially play y'all's position, dude. Was it ever hard for you like mentally like from a mental standpoint? I mean, not just on the field, but I mean Mental, I'm not talking mental health. I'm not trying to hit you with a heavy-handed, hey, were you depressed or anything? I'm saying, like, <laughs> is it fucking too much sometimes to balance those expectations and, like, manage your ego because you have to have an ego to be the number one guy? Like, they only play one quarterback. You know, like, there's a thin line between believing in yourself too much and, and yeah. you know, so did, did you ever have trouble riding that kind of balancing that? Yeah, I don't. I would say that most of my trouble came when I wasn't playing. Yeah, um, because you're so used to being the guy, and, and I look at it like retired players. Like we both know this. Like we've got buddies who play in the league, and like they're out of the league, and they don't really know what to do yeah. and who they are and how to operate and manage that. Well, at the quarterback position, because only one guy plays, starting quarterback is the hardest position in football to play. Backup quarterback is is literally the hardest position in football to be in. Right. Because you have to be ready at all times, no matter what's going on, but you get no reps. Everything is geared towards the starter. It's not geared towards you. But when you get your opportunity, you have to step in and go get the job done. So I had more of those issues when you talk about like how you view yourself when I was in Baltimore and my last year in Washington. Because you got to be a great teammate. You got to be a pro. You got to be active in that meeting room. And I focused on that to try to help get me through the pain of being on the sideline and not being able to go out and truly impact the game the, the only way that we as players know how, and that's playing. So that's where I had the, the issues and the difficulty because you always have to feel like you're the guy. You always yeah. have to feel like I can get this done or you can't play. Yeah. And you know that. Once you lose that competitive edge, you're done. It's over with. Yeah. So I just tried to make sure I didn't do that and just focused all my energy on how can I help the starter? And by that, I'm also helping myself to get prepared to go play. Fuck, dude. It was hard at the end of my career. I mean, like, <laughs> especially for you and me being top picks, like high picks, you know, yeah. like it's in your DNA. We had expectations that other people didn't. Right. right. So then to like to temper that in your own head as you take on different roles and yeah. people look at you like, why is he so hell bent on? Like, just be happy. Like, just be happy where you are. You're in the NFL. You're getting 24 snaps a game, or you're back. You're backing up right. Lamar Jackson, or like, right. it's not going to be like it always was. And that's a tough thing mentally as veterans' age, especially if you were expected a lot early in your career. I remember I had a D line coach that was like, "Chris, you're not a top five pick right now. Like, you're 33 <laughs> years old. Like, relax. Give yourself a fucking break." And I think that's one of the <laughs> hardest things to do sometimes if you've been where you and I have been. I haven't been where you've been. But it, it's tough late in your career. 
Yeah, it's uh, 100% tough. And I agree with you. Like, coaches, they come in here like, yo, why are you so, like, hyped up, ready to go? You want reps. You're. It's not that you complain. <laughs> yeah. You're not complaining about reps, but you're like, yo, man, like, I need to get ready yeah. for this. So I need all of these reps. Yeah. But as you know, coaches are more focused on the next guy. Yep. Hey, hey, Chris, hey, Rob, you're, Chris, you're 33. Rob, you're, you're 30 years old. Why do I need to get you this rep in, in Skelly? I'm going to yeah. give it to the, the fourth quarterback who's on the practice squad. And you're looking at him like, I need to practice, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. I need to practice. Yeah. I got to go out there and be ready to go if something happens to LJ. And I had that battle and I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, you're never going to win that battle. <laughs> well, you, right? they're, you, they're you're not going to win that. You're not going to win the battle. And then also like the silver lining in that, because one of my co-hosts here, his name is Nate Collins and he played for a while. He was my college teammate and played in Chicago and stuff. And we were talking about OTAs and remember the Bears got shut down last week? Yes. Uh, and uh, and we were talking about how we used to celebrate if something like that happened. But <laughs> he goes, I don't know, Chris, you were a vet and like you used to get all these reps. Uh, us young guys who are undrafted, we need those reps. And it right. almost is like when you get older in your career, you know how the other half was living. Like when you yeah. were young, you should be out there trying to get all your reps. And I was, but I had reason to, to not be pressed. And then late in your career, you're pressed like those young guys, the undrafted guys. And, uh, and you're also, they know what your ceiling is. So yeah, they're going to try the guy who they don't know what the ceiling is yet. So it's tough getting old in the, in the NFL. What do you think? This is a question that I kind of wondered because you, you you probably have to deal with a lot of people assuming shit. I assumed shit about you at one point. What do you think is the biggest misunderstanding about RG3? Right. Like, like your uh, career or who you are? Like what do you think people misunderstand the most about you? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've gotten that question before and I always feel like it's not really my responsibility to like go out there and try to defend myself or defend my career against any type of narratives. Uh, I, I've kind of taken the approach to that. Like the people who know me, yeah. they know who I really am. The people who have been in those buildings with me, they know how hard I work. They know how much I dedicated myself to the game and how much I love the game. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really worry about the misconceptions. I just know that when I step into a building and when, when you meet me and I, and, and, and I get a chance to talk to you, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. Whatever yeah. people may have heard here, there is all, you know, hearsay and and most of that stuff is taken down by what i've done by my own actions yeah so i don't ever try to to approach it in a way where i'm like i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna destroy this narrative yeah and that's like my my thought process towards that is like should be for everybody never fall into a narrative that you know you're not right mm -hmm. if someone calls you something or says this thing about you or your work ethic or or how you view the world and you know that's not who you are and don't fall into that. Right. Never accept that as who you are and you'll be fine yeah. because you know this, we're public figures. We're in the public eye. We play football at the highest level. We're opening up ourselves to criticism. Always. That's just, that's just the, the name of the business. Yeah. And it's how you attack that criticism or how you handle that criticism that truly shows who you are. And I've tried, you know, at the end of the day, Jay Gruden, when I was in Washington, didn't say great things about me. Right. But in my exit meeting in 2016, uh, when I left, he shook my hand, looked me in my face and said, I respect the way you handled everything, despite it not going the way that you wanted to go. And especially because of the things that he had said about me. Right. To me, that was the biggest vote of confidence. Right. The biggest compliment he could have gave me was, hey, I know I said some bad stuff about you and I didn't really treat you the right way. 
but I respect the way that you handle it because you you handle it as a pro. Was now, that, of course, I would rather. Was that uh, some sort of an apology? <laughs> some sort of some sort of an apology, but of course, I wouldn't have wanted that to happen. But at the end of the day, that's the only way you can do it. So when I have those face to face meetings and those interactions. That's who I am. Anything else that's said negative, I just leave that stuff alone and, and move on with my life. Are you ever surprised at how dysfunctional, you know, as stones get turned over in Washington, are you ever surprised? Like, obviously, you don't know the depths of everything because uh-huh. right. I think people understand right. us players. We're not like upstairs. We're downstairs. Right. Uh, but, like, are you ever shocked? Uh, I can't say I'm shocked. I'm more I'm more disappointed Yeah. for, for the players because I feel like – Everything that that happens uh, in Washington and that has happened over the last what I've been I've been gone from Washington yeah. for seven seven years six years mm-hmm. everything that's happened has uh, it has nothing to do with the players nothing to do with the players you talk about Jack Del Rio and his comments like uh, you know comparing treason to the protests for for George Floyd the uh, dust up the dust up right the dust up comment it's like. Yeah. First of all, I listen, there's no, he's not the only person that feels that way. Obviously, that's why we're right? where we are. But yeah, <laughs> he, he voiced it. Right. Yeah. He voiced that opinion. Yeah. But now it becomes a distraction. Yeah. It becomes a distraction for the players. And I was talking about this before. It's like, yeah, you can frame it however you want. But the bottom line is Jack Del made a statement that makes it seem like no, not seem definitely seem like or definitely be that he does not have the backs of the players who are from the black community. Right. That's just whatever, however you want to look at it. That's what he said. Now, if you're Jonathan Allen, you're Deron Payne, right? You're Chase Young. And I know those guys came out and supported their coach, but I thought they did that because they were professionals. Yeah. Now, what are they supposed to do when it's the fourth quarter in game six of the season and their ankle is just destroyed. Are they giving that? Am I extra go? Yeah. Am I shooting this thing they, up for Jack Del Rio? Which, are they giving this? Yeah. Are they giving their extra effort for Jack Del Rio? Yeah. No, they're not giving that extra effort for Jack Del Rio. They'll give it for their family, their own sense of pride, the guy next to him. But now he's just made it harder for them to go do their job yeah. without distraction. So that's where I look at, it and I'm like, I feel bad for the players because it's not anything that they've done that's causing those distractions. So every time they step in the building, it's like, man, these guys can't catch a break. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and you know, it's the, the biggest irony in that whole thing, of course, for me, was that if you go back and look at Jack Del Rio's comments on Kaepernick, that was a distraction that was no good for the league and that this, that, and the third. And me, you know, I don't, I'm a white guy, so, you know, it, it infuriates me, but I can't imagine. I'm like... I'm kind of like, if there's a distraction, because I'm standing on principle, and I stood up for saying Cap should be able to say what he needs to say, Jack should be able to say what he needs to say, but there's going to be blowback, bro. There's going to be blowback. So don't look around incredulously when, when you know most of your team uh, looks at you differently, and then maybe even you get fined. Uh, yeah. you know, he's probably lucky that he didn't get worse, because the last guy that was a distraction, and we just talked about him, has not played a football game since. So, um, no. you know. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And, like, I just remember when I was in Baltimore and George Floyd thing went down. Yeah. And the meetings that we had, like, we had town hall meetings with the whole organization there, players sharing their stories, talking about all these different things and how it impacted their lives and how they needed the team. So when you say, hey, I'm a white guy, I was infuriated by what he said and what's going on, but I'm more than sure it makes you more upset, like, I'm glad that you're infuriated. 
You yeah. know, I'm glad that you're upset because we need guys like you to be, yeah. to be, to be the voice and step up and, and talk about these, these difficult conversations. But at the end of the day, like you said, Jack, he's just creating more distractions. And as a player, it's like, man, I know like there's guys, there's guys we all work with that we don't like, mm-hmm. right. We don't like them. We don't like their view on life, but we still go to work and we don't let them get in the way of us doing our job. Yeah. But wouldn't it be so much better if the guy that's calling the plays for you, you actually have a great relationship with them yeah. and that little barrier isn't there. Yeah. Well, it's there now and he can't take it back. And the hard part about a position coach or especially a coordinator is that that person, uh, you know, affects people's playing time and that sort of thing. Yeah. So depending on how outspoken you are in the wake of it, you know, like, and this was a big sticking point for me, uh, play, you know, after something like this, you get a bunch of people who are well-intentioned, but they're in, you know, maybe Chase Young's mentions like you need to say something like you're right. you're on trial now and you need to you need to fight my proxy war for for, you know, on Jack Del Rio. That guy is he's got a job to do. He's got a family to feed. Yes. Guys speak out. I've spoken out like pretty heavy handedly. But um, I also signed up for it and was like, I know the risks of talking. Not everybody, I feel like, has to address Jack Del Rio after the fact. That's me because some guys are dependent on you know that that check, and they they can't see their snap, snaps dwindle and that sort of thing. So it's a really fucked up situation you put guys in. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. Like you said, it's no, it's it's definitely a situation where guys aren't trying to do stuff that's going to affect their money. Yeah, and and as you said, like we we all have freedom of speech. Jack Del Rio can say what he wants. I can say what I want. You can say what you want. But none of us are free uh, of the consequences of what we say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, exactly. so your point, uh, you hit it right on the head. And I would never tell a guy that he needs to speak out just because I feel like he should. Yeah. If it's going to affect his money. So I was not surprised when those guys came out and said, that's my coach. That's my guy. He apologized. We, we believe him. What else are they supposed what to say? What are they supposed to say? I mean, and, and then also, like, you know this, like in the locker room, I think some people assume that we don't have a bunch of people that think way different than us. Like no. there's a ton of people like, and also where in America right now does, does most of the workforce agree with their boss? Because it seems like the higher up you go on the corporate ladder, you probably <laughs> don't agree with that person. If you think like me or RG three, uh, anyways, that we gone too long on Jack Del Rio. I want to ask you this question. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you this question. Do you ever fantasize that you played somewhere else out the gate? I'm not right. saying because I've done it and I loved where I played, even though we lost a fuck ton. But, you know, it really is hard on young players when the team's bad and it's hard on you when you had to deal with what you had to deal with. Who were the other teams right. picking around Washington? We were one, I feel like. Yes. <laughs> you could have been around. <laughs> uh, but what other teams? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the first team would be Indy. Yeah. And I think recently – uh, Indy came out and had said that uh, if if Andrew wouldn't have been there, they would have been comfortable with with taking me yeah. at that at that second pick. But that didn't happen. Uh, I thought the way that Indy supported Andrew was over the top. Now they didn't protect him in yeah. the pocket with the offensive line, yeah. but they did support him with weapons and stuff like that. So I, I always thought like, man, if I had gone to Indy my career would have would have went differently, mostly because I would have been with a more stable franchise. Right. Um, for me, the dream team would have been the Denver Broncos. So when I was going through college. Our producer's a big um, Broncos fan. Cowboy there Reed's back there pumping his fist. Right. You know, I ma- imagining. <laughs> I was a Broncos fan growing up. And then on the reason I didn't grow up in Denver, I grew up in Texas. 
but when I was playing football initially, the Broncos were really, really good. Yeah, John Elway, Terrell Davis, Shannon Sharp, Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey, Tom Nalen was the center. Now, if you know you know the center. <laughs> you know the center. You were a fan. Yeah, okay? you were a so fan, I was dude. a fan of the Broncos, and I'm sitting there as I'm going. We're going through the Heisman year at Baylor, and the Broncos weren't doing very well early in the season. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, man, I, they're saying I'm climbing the draft boards. Like, I got a chance to get drafted by my team. And then Tim Tebow happened. So <laughs> Tim Tebow comes in, starts winning games. They go to the playoffs. He throws the touchdown to Demarius Thomas, right, to beat the Steelers. And I'm like, golly, man, I had an opportunity to go to the team of my dreams, and Tim Tebow ruined it. Oh, Tim Tebow. Y'all need to bring that. You need to do another uh, commercial at that house, you and Tim. There you go. And then you're and like – <laughs> that's good stuff that was my dream team and then the other team um that that was serious about me was philly philly was serious uh andy reed wanted to bring me in um they interviewed me at the combine he said listen you never know what could happen we could trade up you could fall in the draft to us and if you're there we're going to take you and i also thought that that would have been a good situation for me just because of andy reed's expertise and he's a quarterback whisperer all that mm-hmm. stuff i was really looking forward to that um but i'm not gonna lie when i got drafted to washington it was a dream situation for me also because my favorite team and that was my favorite coach yeah so yeah, my, yeah. mike shanahan was my favorite coach it was a dream come true uh quickly turned into a nightmare but at the end of the day i was you know that was heartbreaking especially when you're a young guy and you don't understand the business Right. You uh, tell me this, like when we go in and you got 90 guys on the roster that first year and you befriend a guy in the room with you. And then six months later, that guy's gone. Oh, yeah. He's, he's not he's not playing football anymore yeah. for the rest of his life. And you don't get to see him anymore. Like as a player early on in my career, that really hurt me because yeah. you go from college where you have all these guys and you grow together four or five years. You get to the pros. You know, this guys are in and out. Your roster changes so fast throughout the year. You might have a guy that's in the room the first six weeks. He's gone after that. And that was a real reality check for me. Like, wow, okay. You know, I'm creating these relationships and then boom, guy's gone out of here. That was tough. Especially when you're on a bad team, when you're drafted high, like that, that team is going to have a ton of turnover, dude. And so, you know, like we could play a game and try to recognize all the guys we play with, even in a short stint in Washington or eight years in St. Louis for me, I play with a ton of guys, man. So, Hey, I want to talk to you about track and field, man. Just two fast guys talking here. Did you do it? You You had to call track and field the other day. Yeah. So I didn't have to call. No, you're excited. No, I'm saying like, this is tough though. You're like a football guy. You're a track and field guy too. But to, right. to talk about it, it's probably challenging or no? Because it's not yeah, a play-by-play track, element. Exactly. Track and field is a very nuanced sport. It's very hard to talk about unless you're involved in it on a daily basis, like the different techniques and everything. But a couple months ago, I requested from ESPN to be able to call the NCAA track and field championships. And they looked at me like, why? Why do you want to call this track meet? Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, and we can get into this discussion if you want to, I, I do think that track and field athletes are the greatest athletes in the world. Um, if you gave me Usain Bolt for a year, I could turn him into a top-level receiver. But you, I can't take even Tyreek Hill or DK Metcalf, I can't take them and in a year make them the fastest sprinter in the world. I can't do that. So – I think that there's certain nuances to the sport that make track athletes the greatest in the world. And I wanted to give back to the track and field world 
by calling those championships. And I can tell you what, the reception that I got after the meet uh, was just incredible. Dan O'Brien, who's an uh, Olympic champion in decathlon, and Laura Overton and Dwight Stones, uh, who's a you know multiple-time world record holder in the high jump, they were on the broadcast with me. Or should I say I was on the broadcast with them? Right. And they were right. beyond gracious in giving me time to speak because that's their environment. So uh, the reception from the track and field world has been phenomenal. And I was very, uh, very happy that I was able to do that. That's incredible. First off, like really cool because, you know, like you're you're doing a good job on the on the football media side. But then to like be a dual sport guy, uh, you know, that's pretty that's pretty dope. And then on top of that, yeah, it's a difficult sport to talk about. I don't know who the best athlete in the world is. Um, and my brain is doing a hundred meter dash trying to think about it as you were just talking. <laughs> so excuse me if I missed up, but I'm like, I don't know, man, is it sumo wrestlers? I'm like in here, just every corner of my brain is working. So, uh, why don't more Devin Allen's happen? This is the kid from Oregon, right? And now yep. my Eagles snagged this guy. He's fast as shit. Why, why, why don't we just do that more, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's this common misconception that track and field athletes are quote-unquote soft. But if you really look throughout the league, some of the greatest athletes in the league were dual-sport guys coming out. Some of them ran track also in college. Tyreek Hill was a prolific sprinter in high school, 20-point guy in the 200. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott was a state champion hurdler. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. like, this, these are – there's – Jalen Ramsey was a uh, All-American long jump. At, at Florida State. So these things do happen. They're just not talked about as often. But with, with Devin Allen, he was a great football player at Oregon. Yeah. He just had a couple knee injuries that kind of made him make the decision to transition just to track. Oh. And as you see, like when you run 1284, you know, what, 0.04 off the world record in the hurdles while you're going through OTAs four days out of the week and he's training both track and football. I mean, the guy is phenomenal. Everyone keeps hitting me up and saying, can he catch? I'm like, just go watch his college tape, guys. Right. The guy can catch. He's a, he's a gr really good football player for the University of Oregon. And I think we don't see it more often because track and field is so hard. Trenton Holiday, I don't know if you remember that name, but he was a prolific punt returner yeah. uh, for the Broncos at one point and the Texans. He was an All-American sprinter at LSU, right? But you wouldn't know about that because track's not talked about as much. Right, right. But these, these things do happen. Uh, and Devin Allen is making a transition to football and, and for his pocketbook and his family, it's a very good one Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because track doesn't make as much money as football yeah. players do. But I think that's more so what it is. It, it, are you going to like Marvin Bracey's a really high level sprinter, uh, nine, nine guy in the hundred. And he played in, well, I think it might've been the USFL or something like that as a punt returner. Right. And he quick and he quickly decided no longer to play football after he got popped on a right. punt return. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's why you don't see it happen more often with track and football, because it's such a hard sport track and field is to be at the top. So you don't want to divert your attention. Yeah. You got no time. Else. Yeah. You, you, got, no, you time. got no time. So like, you're not going to get the best track athletes that the world knows about, but you can still get some really great athletes that like, hey, I got nothing to do after college. I would just get discus guys, dude. Oh my goodness! Come on, I'd have a whole team of discus oh. guys. RG three. I'd I'd yes. have I'd have I'd have a bunch of shot putters. We'd be throwing <laughs> all your fast guys around, dude. Give yes. me an NFL guy that you think uh, that has no track background that you're like, this is my guy. That's my last question for you. Give me the next. If I wanted to make somebody a track and field star, and so like Aaron Donald could probably throw a shot put three hundred yards. 
Yeah, it's like there's a guy, uh, Ryan Krauser. I just looked him up. He's the best thrower in the world. He's 6'7", 320 pounds, right? That's a left tackle, okay? But he's a shot putter. Now, I, it would be easier for me to make him an offensive lineman, bring him and put him at guard or tackle, yeah. than to have uh, Aaron Donald throw the shot put. Right. It's just a harder, it's so much technique. And I'm sure Aaron Donald might have done shot put when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. But if I, could, if I could take one guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the easy guy, and that, that's uh, Tyreek Hill, because I know he has the experience running right. track and field. I would take him and, and say, all right, let's train you for, for two years, and then we're going to run you at the Olympics in 2024. And I think he could. I think he can make the Olympic team. I don't know if he would be the fastest guy in the world, but I do think he can make the U.S. Olympic team. And that's that's big praise because the U.S. Olympic team is crazy good with Christian Coleman, Fred Curley, uh, Marvin Bracey. I mean, Noah Lyles. They got all these great runners who are running nine eight nine nine in the hundred. But I think I could get Tyree Kill there if I. Didn't we just you. have somebody famous running track? Not to say track guys aren't famous, but didn't we have somebody <laughs> just moonlight as a track guy? Uh, DK Metcalf. Did. Metcalf did it. I, DK Metcalf last offseason. And did track people respect that? Yes, they did. Track respect Twitter it. is fucking ruthless. Track Woo! Track Twitter is one of the the like. Don't step over there. Like, listen, like Track Twitter's not real big, but if you step on Track Twitter, you're gonna know about it. It's like a landmine, exactly. dude. Trust, like, even for for myself, when I when we called the meet, I thought the producer did a great job of like introducing me to the audience. Yes, because people who don't know, gonna be mad. Like, they'd be mad. Like, why is this football player calling the track meet? You yes. never see track athletes calling football games. Yes. So they, they did a really good job introducing me, like what I did in high school, what I did in college, how I ran pro at the Olympic trials in two thousand eight. But even with that introduction. There were still haters for like the first for like the first hour of the broadcast. They're like, get yep. this guy off the broadcast. But eventually we won him over. Yeah. Right. And it, and it turned great. So I agree with you. Track track Twitter is wild. And here's what I'll say about DK. They appreciated DK coming out and trying. Yeah. DK trained for, I think, three or four months for that run. And he ran 10, three. Yeah. Now, now I'm not going to go without saying this. DK got last in that race. Yeah. So for, for the track athletes, it was it was vindication mm-hmm. to say this ain't easy. OK, stop acting like it's easy. But we respect you for actually coming on the track and running that event. Now, I'll tell you, DK Mecca, based off what he ran, if he trained for an entire year, he'd be way more competitive on a track. Not then, not then on a football field. He's a great football player, but he'd be really competitive on a track. Uh, but I think track Twitter and the track community respected what DK did because he put his money where his mouth was and actually got on the track and ran. And I think they respected him for that, but also felt good that yeah. he got left. Yeah, it's like <laughs> fucking J. Cole going to play professional basketball. It's like for you to take to have the balls to do this and actually like compete at it and bust your ass. Uh, that's awesome. So and the guys that beat uh, DK Metcalf are heroes in the track community, I'm sure. Because nobody wanted oh, DK yes. to win that fucking <laughs> race. Yeah, all, <laughs> nobody, guys, yeah. Yeah. They never would have been able to run again. So, all right, Robert Griffin the third man. This has been a blast. I hope you come back, dude. We uh, we love watching you on TV, and it's been great to officially meet you on Zoom, man. Hey, brother, I appreciate you having me on. And like a, like we said when we talked, we're gonna meet each other at the top. No You're question. doing a great job with the no podcast, question. man. I'm a big fan of yours. So Thanks, man. We'll do this again for sure. Likewise, bro. See you soon. All right, brother.